Thanks for tuning in to Mountain View Fellowship's weekly podcast with lead pastor Don Headley. At MVF, our mandate is pointing people to Jesus by fostering relationships. We know Jesus cared for people and placed a lot of emphasis on relationships. So we do too. We believe that we're created for relationship with God and that he gave each one of us a desire to belong. If you'd like more information about MVF, connect with us at mvfcolorado.com. Now, stay tuned for this week's message. Welcome home, right? Is this crazy or what? Uh, I was having so much fun watching you guys come in this morning and uh, just the smiles and the excitement uh, of a grand opening uh, here. Uh, what is this? June 10th, 2018, which is crazy because uh, we launched October 2nd of 2005, 12 and a half years ago, and uh, it has been absolutely amazing. I, I figured out how many weeks that is. I went back and did the math, and in case you haven't done it, it's 660 Sundays that we've done, and we're finally now in our own facility. Isn't that cool? Uh, we, <laughs> we, uh, we launched years ago with a core group of people uh, who were just passionate about doing a church that was serious about just following Jesus and uh, just kind of stripping off all the stuff that kind of income, you know, just kind of holds us back sometimes. And, and we launched back, at, like I said, in 2005, we actually launched in the Strasburg Elementary Cafeteria. It was awesome. We had to go and set up. And I found a picture from this week back in 2006. So it was the first June services that we had. Uh, this is what it looks like. Uh, I mean, it was amazing. Look at all the people there, right? And uh, we, we were so excited that somebody actually showed up. And this is actually 12 years ago, exactly this week. And uh, I, just, I just love this picture because you look at the truss and the screen and the stage. I mean, all the stuff that we had to do just to set up and tear down every week. And I look back on that, and I just get sick. Uh, no, no, not really. I just think, oh, my goodness, how in the world did we do all that work for seven years? We set up just like this, and we finally got to a place where we started growing and bumping against the wall and couldn't grow anymore. So we moved over to the Bennett Auditorium. That was, uh, what, five and a half years ago? And so we did services over there, and you guys kept coming. I mean, you kept showing up. Uh, you kept dropping your kids off in, in like, closets and stuff. And uh, you just kept coming and bringing your friends, and we kept growing. And uh, kept giving faithfully. Thank you. Keep doing that. Because that's what allowed us to kind of step into this season when we purchased this property. We started building this building. And just out of curiosity, I went back to see if I had any pictures from this week one year ago. And this is what this building, the one that you're in right now, looked like a year ago this week. Uh, it wasn't even close to being finished. I mean, you can see straight through it. There's no windows or doors. It's pretty much just a shell. It's phenomenal. Some of you walked in that door today, and you have no, no idea that this was going on a year ago. But take a look at this. Uh, this is where you're sitting right now. This is what it looked like one year ago today. It was just nothing but dirt. And then a year, fast forward a year, and here we are in our own facility celebrating God's faithfulness. Amen? Right on? This is so cool. I, and I, I, hope, I hope that you got here, you were able to walk around, take a look at all the, the different rooms and just the children's area. It's set up all for kids and, and the lobby and get some coffee over here in the cafe. I hope that, uh, that you check things out because if you did, you would notice that this is a little different, isn't it? Like, I mean, look over here. This, this, these are basketball goals. You realize we're in a gymnasium? That we're doing services in a gymnasium. It's not a sanctuary. Do you know why that is? 
uh, it's because church has changed over the years. And when I was growing up, and, and let me just kind of tell you, for those of you uh, that never went to church, it was interesting going to church years ago. Okay, I was raised in a very, very strong denominational, very traditional church, and uh, we had very ornate buildings. We had, um, man, we had pews. If you don't know what pews are, uh, just go to High Plains Diner. They've got one sitting out in front that you sit on to wait till you get your table. Uh, but they had these big, massive pews. It's like one chair that 20 people sit on. And uh, we actually, uh, we walked in, we had to wear our Sunday go-to-meeting clothes. The women wore these hats that were like these big elaborate hats every week. And uh, you, you just felt completely underdressed no matter how you were dressed. Uh, we had a guy that would get up and he would lead us in music, but he would do it differently. Uh, he would ask us to pick up a hymnal. It was this book that had songs in it. And he would tell us what page we were on. And then he would tell us which verses we were singing. We're singing one, three, and five today. And that's what you would sing. And you would sing it according to the rhythm of his hand. Because he would wave his hand like this. Unless the pianist was a little slow that day and she would slow down as we would go along. And then things would slow down, gradually slow down. And you would hope that you would get to the end of the song before she just stopped. And so this is the way that we did church years ago. Uh, the pastor would get up and he would give this long message. It was like we were supposed to be out 30 minutes ago and he was just getting to point number two out of six. You know, and this is, this is what they would do. And at the end of the message, uh, we would do what's called an altar call. And it was just an invitation to receive Christ. And, and we did it every week, no matter what. And uh, if, if we would play the song and nobody came down, if nobody came down, we would do the song again until somebody would come down, right? And you'd almost be thinking, come on, please, somebody, just break and go, all right? Because brunch started an hour ago. And it, it, was, it was the way that we did church. Now, uh, I'm saying all that, and I have to tell you that I have fond memories of that, okay? Because I was raised in that. And I have nothing against any of those things. And actually, the launch team, 12 and a half years ago, the week before we launched, we got together and the whole launch team presented my wife and I with a pew. I actually have a pew that's made for two people that sits in my house. I have a pew in my house. And I thought, why are they giving us a pew? And they said, Don, we want to give this to you before we launch this church. And this is what they said, because we know that you will never pastor a church that has pews in it. I thought that was kind of interesting, right? So, but I have one in my house. So, uh, now... All of those things are not bad in and of themselves, okay? That's, I'm not saying that. Please don't misunderstand me today. I respect those. It almost has a, a fond place in my heart. Uh, I love the old hymns. There's things about it I just absolutely love. But here's the bottom line. Uh, those things are not bad. But those things were getting in the way of reaching a culture that didn't know Christ. Some of those things started getting in the way of reaching the next generation that wasn't connecting with those things. And the way that we like to say it is the, the message stays the same, but the methods change. And so you fast forward to today, church has changed a lot, hadn't it? I mean, it's completely different today. No longer do we have that. We have stuff like this. Hey, what do you know? I get to use a picture of our own building. Uh, so, yeah. See, before I would have to use somebody else's building. I can use our building now. Uh, churches change. It's completely different today. You know, you walk in and, and guess what? You don't have to dress up anymore. Guys, you don't have to wear ties. One guy. All right, ladies, I'm going to forget you guys. Ladies, you don't have to wear heels. Yeah, see? Isn't that great? You don't have to dress up. You can just like roll out of bed and come to church. And some of you look like you did that. And it's okay. It's okay. We love that. Uh, we want to welcome you here. We have this big open lobby. 
And, uh, you know, it's, it's all about setting environments. That's why you're, today you're not seeing churches build these big, massive cathedrals. And actually, just about any dark retail space, you're seeing a church move in, grab it, remodel it, open it up, and start holding worship services in there. Because it's not about the building. It's really about the environment. And they want these big, open, welcome lobbies. If you notice out here, it's, it's nice to, to have this big, bright lobby where people can mingle and get to know each other and, and foster relationships. You might have heard that before. Uh, also, the worship services have changed. Uh, as you notice this morning, I mean, there's active lights, there's some haze, right? And honestly, worship services resemble more of a rock concert today than they did the church I grew up in. Um, and, and all you have to do is just go to a youth conference one time and you'll realize this is the way this generation is worshiping God. The songs have changed. We've gone away from the hymns to what they're calling praise music. And the, and the best way I can describe it is, is we're not singing songs about God anymore. We're singing to God. And so the whole worship environment has changed drastically. Uh, the sermons have gotten shorter. <laughs> One person. Hey, uh, Danae, flip over. We're going to do the long message today, okay? <laughs> but the messages have gotten shorter, and it's not so much focused on, you know, the Hebrew and the Greek and, and, and doing this big theological thing. It's, it's not a seminary class anymore. It's more about how does this apply to my life today, life application, and being relevant to what we're dealing with today. And, and so it's very interesting to me how the church has changed over the years. And when you talk to people at work or on the street, at the grocery store, and they're excited about their church. Now, now bear with me. What are they excited about? Have you noticed this? Because I take note as a pastor, I listen, I key into that stuff. The people that are very excited about their church, they're not excited and they're not posting pictures on social media about the pews or about the new robes that the choir got. Have you noticed that? What are they excited about? They're excited about authentic worship, about coming into a place that's welcoming, about a place that engages them and a place where they can actually meet people and have meaningful contact and grow in their faith with other people. This is what they're posting. This is what they're excited about. Church has changed drastically. Now, I say all this because this is different for us. And I want us to know as you come into this, you might struggle with some things, and I want you to be okay with it. Why? Because the bottom line is this. Those changes, the only reason for those changes is so that we can make the good news more accessible to those who are far from God. That's all it is. It's not about you and it's not about me. It's about engaging the people around us who don't know Jesus Christ in hopes that they would come face to face with Jesus. I pray and hope that they walk in this building and they bump into Jesus somewhere. That would be awesome. It might even be you that Jesus uses for that. Now, um, today, because of everything that I just said, I think it's important for us to kind of set the tone for us as we move into this building and we start kind of the new normal for us, all right? Which, when you're walking with Jesus, the new normal doesn't mean anything. Like, it could change tomorrow, right? So we're going to stay step in step with Jesus. But here's what we're going to do. We're going to celebrate this building today. We're going to kick off a new series entitled Welcome Home. Don't you think that's appropriate for today? Uh, so in the next few weeks, we're going to be talking about what it means to be a body of Christ in this building, what it looks like, and, and where God is leading us, and, and how it's going to all unfold as we jump into this. So in this message series, I want to welcome especially those of you that are new. Uh, maybe you're unchurched. Maybe you walked away from the church a long time ago. Maybe uh, you got hurt in a church and you left, and this is kind of new to you, and you had that weird Christian neighbor that invited you to come with you today. I'm glad you came, okay? So I'm glad you're here because this is the perfect message series for you to be a part of. Because what you're going to hear over the next few weeks and what you're going to find out 
is that a lot of the things that you resist about the church are things that the church should resist. All right, did you hear me? A lot of the things that you struggle with, that you kind of push against, a lot of the things that you resist about the church are things that the church should resist. So I hope that you'll just plan on being back here for the next several weeks as we walk through this. Now, if you would, uh, would you flip over to Matthew chapter 28. Go to Matthew chapter 28, verse 18 is where we're going to start this morning. Now, if you need a Bible, here's how it works here. You just raise your hand. We've got some guys and some ladies walking up and down the aisle, and they'll hand you a Bible. It's your Bible. It's our gift to you. Just put your name in it. Head over to Matthew chapter 28 with us this morning, and we want you reading along with us. Now, here's why. Because we want you to check me, okay? Don't ever just take what I'm saying. Actually check me on this. And so make sure you grab one of those Bibles and you head over to Matthew chapter 28. Also, uh, we have an Ask Anything program. So if you would like to send in a question, you can text it to that phone number up on the screen or tweet it, hashtag MVF Colorado. Either way, we'll get the message. Now today, because it's our grand opening, we're celebrating, we're not going to do our Q&A at the end of the message like we normally do. Normally we get our pastors up here and they try to answer some of those questions before you head out. Okay, Today we're not going to do that. We're just celebrating today. And so, But here's the promise. If you send in a question, we'll get back to you with an answer. All right? So with all that being said, let me kick it off this way. Just ask the question, what is church? If you had a, a non-church friend, a neighbor, who came and asked you, describe to me what church is. Why do, you, why do you do that thing every Sunday? Why do you do that thing in the middle of the week where you get out of the way with some people? What is church? What is that? And how do you describe it to somebody? Fortunately, I get that question a lot as a pastor. And if I'm talking to somebody, I always ask the question, you know, what's your church background? Do you have any? And if they say that they have zero experience with church, this is what I tell them. Uh, a church is a community of people following the teaching of Jesus who was sent from God to explain God and clear a path to God. That's really what a church is. It's a, it's a group of people that are coming together and they're trying to live uh, the, the teachings of Jesus, live it out in their daily life. They're trying, the way we say it, they're trying to be like Christ, more like Christ every day. And, and so they're following this, this guy named Jesus who we believe is the son of God. And, and actually Jesus was sent from God to us as his one and only son to explain to us who God is and to clear a path to God. This is what he did by his death and resurrection, is he created a path for us to be made right with God so that we could be in communion with God. This, in and of itself, is a definition that when I read through it, and I go, okay, if this is the church, my question becomes this. Why doesn't everyone belong to a church? Because there's nothing offensive about that. There's nothing to reject about that. And even, get this, even if you never receive Jesus as your Lord and Savior, if you just simply followed his teachings, guess what? You'll have a better life and you'll be better at life. And who doesn't want that? Now, our hope is that you would come to see him and understand that he's the, the son of God and he's the Savior. He's the Messiah. But if you never even got to that place and just followed his teachings, you would have a better life and you would, you would be better at life. And so what is it about the church that has become resistible to so many? Why doesn't everyone go to church? Now, in order to explain this, I think we have to back clear up to the beginning. And I want to do this by explaining what's called the temple model. 
And you can go to the very beginning of time, and, and as man begins to, to you know, form a relationship with God, they, they start what's called a temple model. And it plays out in just about every religion, about every culture that you can think of. Assyrian, Babylonian, Roman, you can go down through history, and you can look at every world uh, religion. And you'll see the temple model play out. And the way the temple model looks is, is like this. The temple model is simply, it has a sacred place. There's a, usually a temple or a mosque or something where they gather and it's considered sacred. And then they have a, a group of what's called sacred texts. We'll just call it that. Whether it's scripture or it's oracles, whatever it might be, they have some sacred texts. And then they have sacred men. And it's almost always men, which is very interesting, by the way, too. And these sacred men have the authority to read and interpret the sacred text in the sacred place. And then there's a group of followers that they instruct on how to live, what's right, what's wrong, what they're supposed to do. Now, you'll find this anywhere you go. You can go to Asia, you can go to the Middle East, you, you can go to Syria today, and you'll find a, a, a sacred place that has sacred texts and some sacred men telling people what they need to do and how they're supposed to live their lives. And they go out and they do certain things that we see on the news and we go, that's completely ungodly. But to them, they believe that that's what they're supposed to be doing. They believe they're doing what's right. You can go to a mud hut village in Africa. You can go to the rainforest in South America and you'll find a group of people that have one guy, usually called a witch doctor, right? And he's got a sacred place, and he doesn't even have to put a fence around it. All he's got to do, place some skulls and some chicken bones, and they're afraid to even go close to it. But it's the sacred place, and, and somewhere in there, he interprets exactly the way that they're supposed to live their life. He has the authority to bless them, to curse them, curse their enemies, heal them, all these things. Now, under the temple model, this is my point, the sacred men who have the authority to read the sacred text in the sacred place and dictate to the people how they're supposed to live their lives, and, by the way, if they don't follow those instructions, they can threaten them with eternal damnation many times, it gives those sacred men unbelievable power and authority under the temple model. And this is how it plays out. Now, this is, it's been that way since the beginning of time. But here's what I want us to get this morning. The arrival of Jesus signaled the end of the temple model and the beginning of something what? Uh, say it with me. Something entirely new. You need to know that, okay? Because I think for Christians so often, we have in our mind that we think Jesus came and he just took Judaism and tweaked it a little bit. Like he gave us, you know, temple model 2.0. We're just going to change it a little bit. But that's not what Jesus did. See, when Jesus came and he died on the cross and he rose again, he changed it forever. He took care of all of that. He wiped it out and started something, get this, entirely New. It wasn't the same anymore. It was something completely different and new. Now, as we sit here today, I want you to know that I believe uh, through this series, I'm going to try to prove to you that the church has become resistible, not because of new things that have been added to the church, but because of old things that we've grabbed and brought back into the church. Because of our hearts, because of desires, because of, of just comfort zone, whatever it might be, we couldn't let go of certain things and we had to drag it into the church with us, into the New Testament church. And this happened years ago because the church for so many years was exploding and doing some great, great things and then somewhere we got derailed 
And I believe we're still holding on to some things that hold us back. We're still holding on to some things that we should have let go a long time ago. I want to show you how Jesus, when he came, started something entirely new. So we have the temple model. We have sacred place. We have sacred texts and sacred men. The first one is sacred, uh, sacred place. Jesus eradicated the idea of a, uh, a sacred place. And instead of a sacred place, what he did is he made it about people. It's not about a sacred place. It's about people. Take a look at Matthew chapter 28. Matthew chapter 28, verse 18. Did I give you enough time to get there? Okay, four of you. Okay, the rest of you, it's on the screen. Here you go. This is what it says. Jesus came and told his disciples, I've been given all authority in heaven and on earth. Therefore, what? Say it loud. Go. Go. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Now, this is uh, part of what we call the Great Commission. It's like the last commandment that he gives us before he leaves. He's like, okay, go. Don't stay here, but go. Now, for 1,400 years leading up to this, what were they they doing? They kept They kept coming back to the same place. They would come back to Jerusalem, back to the temple. And why were they doing that? Because the temple is the holy place. It was the sacred place in Judaism. It was the place that that housed what they they felt was the the presence of God. It had an inner room called the Holy of Holies that had the ark, and God's presence dwelled there. That's why they kept coming back there. But when Jesus came and he got on the cross and he gave his life and he made the ultimate sacrifice so that we would never have to sacrifice again, it says that the veil in the Holy of Holies that separated the temple, uh, the main room in the temple to the Holy of Holies ripped from top to bottom. It just ripped, meaning there was no more reason for that room. We didn't need to hold God's presence in a room. It was unleashed because of the sacrifice that Jesus made on the cross. Because of his sacrifice, because of his blood, we could be made right with God and God could dwell with his people. Turn over to Luke chapter 22, verse 20. Luke chapter 22, verse 20. Now what Jesus was saying when he told them, look, I want you to go and I want you to teach everybody you know, the good news and disciple these people. What he was saying is, look, I know we had some good times in Jerusalem. Like, like, I understand the history here. I understand you like it, the Passover, it's great. Yeah, I get all of that, and, and it's become part of your life, and you like it. But guess what? If you keep doing this, the people that I'm dying for outside of your, uh, your village, outside of your city, outside of your nation, outside of your community, will never hear about me. So I want you to go. Leave Jerusalem. It's not about a sacred place. But I want you to go reach those who have never heard the good news. It's about people. Uh, There's a story in Matthew chapter 16 where Jesus is walking along the road. They're headed to Caesarea Philippi. And uh, on this path, they're just walking. And Jesus fires this question over at his disciples. He's like, hey, um, who do people say I am? Well, I think some people think that you're like John the Baptist and, and others think that you're like a prophet or Jeremiah or Elijah. You know, and they're firing back some of the answers that they've heard people say that they thought Jesus was. And then in the middle of all this, Jesus twists the question on him. And he says, well, who do you say that I am? And you got to love Peter because Peter just shoots his mouth off without thinking. I I can relate a lot to that guy. And he, he he just fires back. He says, you're the Messiah, the one that's been prophesied about. You're, you're the son of the living God. And Jesus looks and says, blessed are you, Peter, because that answer didn't come from you. That came from my heavenly father. And he goes on to say this in verse 18. Now I say to you that you are Peter. 
which means rock. And upon this rock, I will build my church and all the powers of hell will not conquer it. Now, a couple of things I want to draw out of this passage. First of all, Peter's name means rock. And there's been a lot made of that, especially in certain religions. And can I just say this? It really doesn't mean anything, okay? Jesus isn't saying, look, I'm going to build a church on you. Okay, that's not what he's saying. And some of you coming out of the Catholic faith, you're going to kind of freak out on me a little bit, okay? Because I know you've had a lot of, of schooling in this. But what Jesus is saying in this moment is upon this rock, not talking about Peter, but talking about his declaration, his statement that you are the Messiah, you are the Son of God, you're the one that's been prophesied about, you're the one that's come to redeem God's people, you're going to make the ultimate sacrifice to pay for every one of us, you're going to restore us back to God upon that declaration, upon that rock, people that make that declaration, I am going to build my what? Church. Okay, but the problem is this. That word wasn't in the original text. And you guys know this if you were here a while back when we went through the series Ecclesia. It's this word Ecclesia that actually means gathering or assembly. And what's interesting is it shouldn't have meant church. But you and I, when we read it, we read church and we think of a building. And it's not about a building It's not about a sacred place. It's about an assembly, a gathering, a group of people. It's upon this group of people, these people that declare that I am the Messiah, that I'm going to build my gathering of people. I'm going to build my assembly. It's not about a sacred place. It's about people. Jesus did away with sacred places. He didn't come and die for buildings. He came and died for people. No more sacred places. Now, the reason I bring all this up is because here we are in this place today celebrating our grand opening. And I I want you to know without a doubt, this is great. But this is not why Jesus came. Um, Now, if you're part of the funding company that helped fund this building. We got a lot of them over here. I'm going to not look at them, okay? You can plug your ears. If you're with our insurance company, plug your ears, uh, because I want to say this. It's not about sacred places. It's about people, and I believe if Jesus could bring one more person to him by burning this place to the ground tomorrow, he would do it. It's not about the building. It's about people. Listen to me. There's not one grain of soil. There's not one wooden building. There's not one brick and mortar structure that is more sacred to God than the person to your left and the person to your right. We need to get this. We need to understand this because Jesus came to do something entirely new. It's not about sacred places. It's about people. The other thing that he took care of was the sacred text. See, it's not about the sacred text. It's not about the law. It's not about following the law. It's about a new covenant. Jesus came and he did something new. He did a new covenant. Matthew 5, 17, Jesus came and he says, look, I didn't come to abolish the law. I came to fulfill it. You know what fulfill means, right? It means it's done. It's, it's full. It's, it's over. He came and he fulfilled it. And you and I read that and we're like, okay, thank you, Jesus. But the reality is, in the first century, when he was saying this, those Jewish people standing there would have freaked out. This is a massive statement. Like he's telling them, all the the laws, the Torah, everything that you've been studying, all the prophecy that you've heard, it's all fulfilled in me. Like it's done. We're doing something new from here on out. 
They would have got that, but you and I, we miss it so often. Later on, Jesus is sitting at the Last Supper with his disciples, and he's having this discussion with them. And this is what he says in Luke 22, verse 20. It says, after supper, he took another cup of wine and said, this cup is the what? New. The what? The new. You need to hear this. It's the new covenant between God and his people. And the disciples would have said, um, new? Like, why new? Because we already have a covenant with God. Like, we're the Jews, right? We have a covenant with God. Why do we need a new covenant? This is the new covenant between God and his people. An agreement confirmed with my what? My blood. And they'd be like, wait a minute, you're sitting here at the table. You're not bleeding. That doesn't make any sense. I don't get what you're saying, which is poured out as a sacrifice for you. And see, in a short time later, when they were standing, watching Jesus hang on a Roman cross and his blood pouring out of his body, I think in that moment they would have got it. It's a new covenant. Jesus is making the ultimate sacrifice. No longer will we have to travel to Jerusalem and offer up sacrifices for the forgiveness of sins. He's paying all of it right now for everything that was ever done and everything that would ever be done. Jesus is the ultimate sacrifice. And then later on, I think Jesus was almost like saying, look, you don't need the 600 plus laws that you follow now. I'm going to make it so much easier on you. You don't need the Ten Commandments. Like, we're going to make this really easy. And we talked about this in the last series where he was tested several times. What's the greatest commandment? If you're going to boil the whole scriptures down to one thing, what would you boil it down to, Jesus? What is the most important thing that I could do with my life? And he would sum it all up with one verb, with a couple of applications. Love. Love God and love others. Even love your enemy. I mean, go that far. And testing his disciples at that last supper in John chapter 13, verse 34, he does, he does something incredible. He says, look, a new commandment I give you to love one another. And I think they would have said, that's not new, Jesus. Like, you've been telling us that since you arrived. I mean, yeah, we're supposed to love everyone. We get it. But then he, he really, really cranked the screws down on him when he said this, love as I have loved you. That's a new command. Because just before this, he'd gotten up from the table and he'd taken off his outer robe and he'd wrapped a towel around his waist and picked up a basin of water and he would get down on his knees and he would wash these dirty, stinking, nasty feet of his disciples. And they didn't have Nikes back then. They just had sandals. They're walking down dusty roads behind animals many times, right? So no telling what's on their feet. And Jesus uses his hands The same hands that he would lay on people to heal them. The same hands that he would touch a blind person and restore their sight. The same hands that would embrace Lazarus after he would raise him from the dead. Those hands he would use to wash their nasty feet. And get this, he was doing something for them that they wouldn't have done for each other. They would have never thought of doing that for one another. And he says, I want you to love as I have loved you. And telling his disciples, look, if you ever get to a place where you think you're too big or you too are important or you think too much of yourself, grab a bowl and you start washing feet. And then he tacks this on and he says, and it's by this 
by the way that you love, that the rest of the world is going to know that you're my disciples. The rest of the world is going to understand who I am by the way that you love each other. It's by this. Not by how well you know the scriptures, not by how well you obey the law, but how much you love And the reason I say this, folks, please listen to me, is because I know so many people who can quote to you forward and backward the Bible, but they don't live it. I know so many people, they're a lot better in Scripture than I am, but they are hateful people. That is not God-honoring. If you don't know anything about Scripture, start today and just start loving, and you'll be more like God than they ever will be. It's by this that they will know that you are my disciples. Now, I'm not telling you don't read the Bible, okay? I'm not saying that that thing we just gave you, throw it out the window. That's not what I'm saying at all. But what I am saying is this. It's not about the text. It's about the person the text points you to. Jesus wants a relationship with us. He doesn't want us just to know the law and to follow the law and not return any love. He created a new covenant in his blood through love. And he did away with the sacred text. Not only did he do away with the sacred places and the sacred text, but he did away with sacred men. See, it's not about sacred men, but it's about ministers. It's about ministers. Now, um, again, if you're coming out of the Catholic faith, and I know we have a lot of you in here, you need to hear this. When Jesus came, He did away with the middleman. There is no middleman. No longer do you need someone to intercede for you between you and God. It says in Hebrews chapter 4 that Jesus Christ is our high priest, that he sits at the right hand of God, that he knows our weaknesses. And it says that that he tells us, come boldly to the throne of God. We can come to God, just just us, like, like going right directly to God. There's nobody standing in between us. There are no sacred men in there, including me. And when I say ministers, who am I talking about? Am I talking about me? Don't, yeah, don't put that on me, okay? When I say ministers, it means every one of us. We're all called to be ministers. Now, I'm a pastor, and I don't believe every every person's a pastor, but I believe every one of us are ministers. Now, what's the difference? Let me tell you the difference. I'm a pastor. My job as a pastor, get this, is to equip the saints, to equip you for the work that God has for you. God has work for you to do. You are a minister. And get this, there is no plan B. This is the way he set it up. Maybe that's one of the reasons why the church has struggled over the last 20, 30, 40 years. Because we we gave up our role as ministers. We started thinking it was that paid person on the stage. It's not the church's job as a building and as a staff. It's the church's job as all of us as an assembly, as a gathering. It's our job to take the good news to the world. It's not about sacred men. It's about ministers. John 16, Jesus tells his disciples, he said, look, it's better for you if I go. If I just go, I'm going to die soon. It's better for me to go. And I'm sure his disciples like objected, like, no, how in the world can you even say that? That's better for for you to go. We want to keep you here. And what he tells them is, look, if I don't go, I can't send you my spirit. I need to go, and when I go, I'll send you an advocate. I'll send you a counselor in the Holy Spirit. And he goes to the cross. He dies. Uh, He 
rose from the grave, he ascends into heaven, and then about 50 days later, we find his disciples sitting in a room. They're all huddled in a room. And the wind begins to blow, and the Spirit of God comes into the room and enters into them. And we're taught in Scripture that when you place your trust in Jesus Christ, when you declare him as Lord and Savior, you are filled with the Holy Spirit of God. There is no sacred men. You are sacred because God places his Holy Spirit in you. And we underestimate this so often, we forget about it. But do you realize you take the Spirit of God into every conversation, into every situation that you enter into in life? God wants to use you to accomplish his will. And somehow we, we just kind of separate that from what we do on Sunday mornings. It's not about sacred men. It's about ministers, and every one of us are a minister of Jesus Christ. I remember years ago doing, uh, going to a conference, and they had us do this little exercise, and, and we wrote down, I'm a minister of Jesus Christ disguised as a blank. And you had to put your occupation in there, you know, police officer or construction worker or plumber or pilot or whatever it was. And, and it was the idea that we are first and foremost ambassadors and ministers of Jesus Christ. I pray that we get that. But it's not about sacred men, but it's about being a minister of Jesus Christ. So why is this so important for us to get today? Because I believe it would change everything for us if we understood this. See, if you and I really truly realize and if we embrace that it's not about sacred places, that it's about people, then we won't come into this building and settle in. We won't get comfortable. We won't think that this is all about us. We won't make it about us. We won't turn inward. But just the opposite. When we understand that it's not about sacred places, but it's about people, then we'll move into this place and we'll give up our desires. We'll give up our preferences to reach those that are far from God. And if we come into this place and we truly realize, number two, that it's not about sacred texts, it's not about the law, but it's about a new covenant in Jesus' blood through love, then what's going to happen at that point is we're going to stop keeping score with each other. We're going to stop keeping score with the people outside of these walls. And what we're going to start doing is we're going to start embracing the fact that nobody is too far from God. We're going to go out of our way to reach them. And we're not going to care what they dress like, how they talk. It's not going to matter because we know that Jesus loved them and he died for them. And we're going to do everything we can short of sinning to win them to Christ. We're going to stop complaining and we're going to start praying. We're going to start exercising our heart more than our mouth. And if we truly realize that it's not about sacred men, but it's about ministers, then we're going to stop looking to the pastors and the church to do all the work. We're going to start getting involved and start serving. Uh, we're going to start looking around at how God wants to use us. We're going to discover our passions and our giftedness and figure out how God wants to use that in his kingdom. And we will start every day looking for what God wants to do in and through us as a minister of Jesus Christ. Now, this is so important for us to get as we move in here. Uh, let me tell you what hit me this week. Uh, we had an amazing week this week. Uh, this building was christened. Last Sunday with a dedication service, and then Monday through Friday, we packed this place out with elementary kids for VBS. It was incredible in here. You should have seen it. Uh, these young people, listen to me, we could take some notes from these young people on how they worship God. It was phenomenal. 
And so I was just enjoying this whole thing, just letting it soak in. And I'm sitting back there uh, at a chair way back by the sound booth. And I'm just sitting there by myself. It's in between sessions. You know, some of these young people are leaving. Some are coming in. And I'm just sitting there just kind of thinking about the building and everything that's going on. And in, in that moment, I had a young guy walk up behind me. And he just put his arm around my neck. And I couldn't see who he was. He just kind of grabbed me by the neck. And he was like, hey, Pastor Don. And I'm like, hey, bud, what's up? Because you call everybody bud if you don't know their name, right? And I'm like, hey, bud, what's up? And I just tapped him on the arm, and I glanced over my shoulder, and I saw that it was, it was Lane Briggs, the young man here in the congregation. He's actually here right now. And, uh, and I said, man, are you having fun? He's like, oh, this, this is great. And it was just a pause there for a minute. There was nothing being said. He saw his arm around me. And then he said this. He goes, I love my brand-new church. It's awesome. And I just broke in that moment. And in prayer, I'm just thinking, God, I would give everything to have the next generation just love God and love what he's doing and want to be a part of that. I'll give it all up if we could just get that response from our young people. Knowing that years and years from now, when you and I are all dead and gone, that there'll be a whole other generation in this room worshiping and celebrating God and reaching the next generation. This is so important for us to get. And we are going to get this. Listen to me. We're going to get this right. Starting right now, we're going to get it right. Because this building will not be a stumbling block. It will be a launching pad for what God wants to accomplish in and through Mountain View Fellowship. My question is this. Are you with me? Are you ready for this? All right. Would you please stand? I want to say a prayer for us. And we're going to close with a song this morning. Heavenly Father, we just come to you as your church, a gathering of believers who put our faith and trust in you. God, we worship you. We praise your name today. We praise you for your faithfulness. And after 12 and a half years of moving into this beautiful facility, and God, help us never to lose sight of why you gave us this place. It's not about places, but it's about people. God, I pray in advance that you would allow us to, to reach out to our neighbors, our family, our friends. May we see many, many people come to know Christ here. May we see baptism after baptism in this place. God, we just pray that everything that we do and say from this day forward brings glory and honor to the name of Jesus Christ and all God's people said. Thanks for joining us here at Mountain View Fellowship. We'd love the chance to meet you in person. We gather each Sunday at 9 and 1045 a.m. at 1955 Headlight Road in Strasburg, Colorado. If you aren't able to join us in person, we'll meet you right back here next week. God bless.